Hey, welcome to Movie Marathon with Mike and Murph. We are here today to continue our Die Hard on a Blank or Die Hard on a Podcast run. And we are going to be talking about the 1996 action movie classic, Executive Decision. Good morning, Michael. <laughs> Good morning, Murph. Yeah, I just said people can't tell by the sound of our sultry voices. It is. <laughs> we just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I, guess, I guess it has finally crossed uh, into, to 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning for... <laughs> It's still us. dark outside, as far as I can tell. So I, I think I feel like it's still I could go back to sleep. It's perfect. It's uh, really rainy here. The uh, same. <laughs> it, it, just, it seems like the perfect podcasting weather. Uh, yeah, this is a uh, somber morning um, after uh, my my football team got kicked out of the AFC <laughs> playoffs. So well, and going to be a bit of a somber podcast when we have to talk about the death of Austin Travis. <laughs> <laughs> American yeah. hero. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> former Navy SEAL. And uh, uh, do you think he died? Do you think he actually? You think there's a way he like uh, flying squirrel his way down to the to the ground? Or I think he was dead. I don't even. I think he was dead before he hit the ground. I think he was dead within seconds of those like planes separating. I think. Like, oh, like his decompression just just um, er- and eradicated they, the, him. And going, I don't know how fast they were going. They may even say it in the movie, but like I don't know, two, three, four hundred miles an hour. You yeah, know, body just true. gets ripped out. <laughs> that's probably. I think true. that probably uh, kills it. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Seagal would disagree. <laughs> uh, yeah, he seems like. Uh, uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. I hope <laughs> Colonel Austin Travis is still alive. <laughs> Somewhere over the North Atlantic, <laughs> still blowing through the air. Yeah, just, <laughs> just flying, flying around the world. Flying. Yeah, he's just flying. That that's uh going where that, he's needed. <laughs> maybe that's like a yeah, that's like a an old wives' tale about uh what people can hear. They think it's a ghost, but it's actually just the it's Colonel Austin Travis, and he's just gliding around <laughs> Ireland or something. <laughs> Hi, Ed. Right. On a clear wind, on a clear night, children, right. you can hear Colonel Travis. You can hear his whispery voice <laughs> as he floats around <laughs> the sky. So, well, so this is a. Um, I'm excited to do this one again. It's it's we're on our 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 diehard run, uh, our diehard on a blank run. Um, this is now officially our first, and we'll have more uh, diehard on an airplane. Oh, we will have more. Oh, we'll have more. And this actually has some good uh, diehard crossovers. Uh, one being obviously just the, the the premise of terrorists with uh, potentially alternative motives. And then uh, it also has Mel- Mary Ellen Trainer in this as she's a stewardess. <laughs> it's like, okay, so <laughs> there's just a straight diehard pull, pull there. So um, <laughs> but I liked this movie a lot growing up as a kid. I think this was a blockbuster rental. And uh i enjoy it feels very tom clancy with the the espionage and counterterrorism stuff and it feels very 1970s airport style movie where it's it's uh some big disaster is going to happen and it's you know you've you've got a big cast that's here to help you uh help you solve this, this problem so how about you what, what, what were your initial uh experiences with uh, executive decision? i remember being super excited for this to come out um it's I know, your kid Seagal, Kurt Russell. It's like holy shit, they're doing a movie together. Like it's everything I want. Um, so being like super pumped up about that. I don't think I would have seen it in a theater. And this is like probably a very bizarre short window of time where I would know. Well, I'm not going to ask my parents to like go see an R-rated movie in a theater because like I'm probably going to get turned down. 
but if we go to um so closest to us was movie gallery <laughs> where we would rent uh if we go to movie gallery and i asked to rent it they're not even going to like give it a second thought and we're just going to rent it um so i guess this is a rental to me but i do think it's played <laughs> on hbo a good bit as well and it's i feel i watched this movie from like halfway through like 20 times in my life <laughs> yeah that's i remember seeing this on on uh cable quite a bit too not not just um hbo but just uh that it um it had a lot of uh longevity in like tnt for like, in, like the late yeah. 90s early 2000s <laughs> and it's of <laughs> I, mean, I, I really love this movie but it's a ge- very generic action movie so if you're like an action movie fan, you can really just pick up at any point and you know the beats, you know what's going on. Like there's no Yeah, there's, there's no, no surprises, uh, plot like, intricacies you have to be worried that you missed. Um Well, I mean, I uh, yeah, that's true. Um and, and this also is a lot of fun uh you you pointed this out, a lot of fun 1990s action movie tropes with the uh the DZ5 nerve gas. <laughs> And yeah, special Nerf forces had a hell of a run in the. <laughs> oh, it really did. I was like this, and then in 1990. So this is what this is 96, right? 96, yeah, yeah. So same year, uh, The Rock has VX poison gas. Yeah, so it's really a big it's like deal. Something was very zeitgeisty about it. <laughs> I think this is uh this is some fallout from uh what do you call it uh, Operation Desert Storm, where there was a lot of a lot of concern that there was going to be nerve gases dropped on uh, dropped on U.S. soldiers. I think that uh, there was there had been some conflicts in the Middle East, I think, in the late 80s that that, that where. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, poison gas or nerve gas had been used. It, it wasn't like a U.S. force that, that encountered it, but I think it was like. Uh, was it Kurdistan maybe had fought against Iraq and and well, I'm really going out of my, my ski tips here on <laughs> geopolitical <laughs> stuff anyway. It's <laughs> um, funny. I was thinking about that this week. Um, because I really enjoy doing this podcast, but the thing I hate the most is when we touch on some like outside subject that I know <laughs> at one point in my life I could have given like a two or three second brief summary of in a very intelligent, like meaningful way. And now, like, my brain just is, like, too old, too slow. Like, I learned all this stuff too long ago. So it's just a rambling shambles of an explanation that goes nowhere. And I'm like, and then I immediately regret even attempting it. Well, I, I, that's how I feel. I did look it up while you were you were basically covering for me. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't wrong. It was, it was during a, a conflict between the Kurds and, I think, the Iranian army between 1980 and 1988. And there was a belief that towards the end of that conflict, there was um, nerve gas used against, or chemical chemical attack used against Kurds. So anyway, I'm glad I wasn't completely wrong. Uh, thank you for covering for me. And <laughs> you're right. Let's talk more about our action movie tropes from the 90s here. Because uh, this one, too, also has... Um, it feels like they went and made a big effort to try and be authentic with how the special forces team in this <laughs> operates. Um, I also enjoyed that they, they used clever camera tricks to make the special forces team look better than they probably were because they, they cut a lot around Seagal having to do any kind of action. In this. <laughs> if they have to show him in motion, they're like, Oh, no, we're going to have to do a lot of fast cuts and make sure this looks, looks like he actually can do this. Yeah. 
So do you want to talk about the cast before we jump into this? Because I was gonna say the cast in this is gigantic. Um, yeah, and just constant like, oh, I know that person. I know that person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels like you could play a bunch of six degrees of separation uh, uh, in this movie and pretty much cover every movie made between about 1975 yeah, actually, if you're someone who's into doing that, this would be a pretty valuable movie to have in your uh, <laughs> your back pocket to yeah. make some connections because uh, it's got a pretty big cast of uh, uh, people you've seen in a ton of other stuff too. So obviously Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal are the big headliners or are presented as the big headliners yeah. <laughs> at the time. But then Leguizamo's, uh, John Leguizamo's the... Yeah, it's Seagal's kind of overshadowed. <laughs> yeah. By then, a few it, other people. At this well, point. Yeah, I mean, I, I laughed. Uh, there's a guy who plays um, one of the... It's not funny, I guess, but it was just kind of interesting, like trivia that Whip Hubley in this plays uh baker one of the special forces guys and that's kurt russell's um former brother-in-law so it's from his <laughs> so it's the brother of his his first wife uh season hopefully which i was like it's like, and it's like he has some awesome hair in this movie <laughs> he does well i think he was also he's like a top three gun. inch like flat top <laughs> yeah it's like that hair his face is going to come off before that hair <laughs> like moves an inch so but he was in Top Gun. I'm trying to think of who he played uh, in Top Gun. Oh, he played Hollywood. So he okay. he's got some, and his hair was pretty impressive in that too. So yeah, you know. <laughs> guessing that carried uh, a lot of the casting for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like give me the guy with the hair. Speaking yeah. of hair, or do you want to talk about uh, B.D. Wong is in this, and he obviously people will know him from uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, I think. Dr. His hair from Jurassic Park, insane. Jurassic World. Yeah, he his haircut is insane. It looks like somebody literally just they said, "All right, grow your hair out." All right, great. <laughs> just laid him down like, "All right, here's a bandsaw, and we're gonna just cut everything <laughs> off top of your." He looks like flat top from Dick Trace. <laughs> I couldn't tell if I've just seen. So my son loves the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies. So I've yeah. in the past several years have watched those just like a million times. So I can't think of him as like anyone else but Dr. Wu. And so it, I, I couldn't, I didn't know if the haircut was jarring to me because it wasn't the Dr. Wu haircut or because it was a bizarre haircut. <laughs> I think it's both um, because you're right. Like I only kind of know him as from, from uh, um, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World as well. Uh, but it, I don't know. It just looks so perfectly cut it looks literally like they did just like mark it up and say all right uh we're gonna cut from here and it's gonna be a perfectly like i'm looking at bd wong haircut i'm looking at it again (laughs) and i guess it's just because the the way it sits on his face it just doesn't look right like that's not the haircut he should have like is a is a human being yeah it just doesn't look natural about it yeah yeah like like if he just looked the way he did from from Jurassic Park, I think he would have been, fi- been fine. It's just like I, right, it just that, stood out to me in this. It's just yeah. really unnecessarily jarring, and yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, I think that's what was jarring to me was like you a hundred percent could have just had the haircut from Jurassic Park, and like it's been fine. I uh, yeah, and I I anyway. So I I'll, I'll stop complaining about Jim uh, BD Wong's <laughs> hair. 
and, so uh, yeah, we, we got to do more haircuts. We got to hit all these guys' haircuts now. <laughs> yeah, we we do. So uh, Leguizamo looks fine. Oliver Platt's in this. <clears throat> Joe Morton's in this, and he'll be a repeat when we do speed. Um, and I say, I just a shout out Leguizamo. And are fantastic in this. You really like nails the delivery of them. Um, and Morin is is just great too. Like, I I don't know. They both they both stood out to me as like wow, they're doing exceptional work with some pretty B grade material. Yeah, no, it's funny that um, that so much emphasis in the time when this came out was put on this as Seagal, when you could pretty comfortably argue that everybody else on his team is significantly better, both in the movie. <laughs> And just as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the guy who actually is the headliner is the, the weakest link of, of that team. Uh, so, uh, it, it is refreshing when when they kind of swap out Seagal for um, uh, uh, Leguizamo's character taking over the team. Yeah, and <laughs> this movie would be enjoyable and watchable in a very different way if... It was Leguizamo's character who dies and Seagal is in that role all the way through because I don't Seagal think delivered, I don't think Seagal delivering some of those lines would be just laugh out loud funny. I, I, I don't I think if they had left it like if, 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 if it had stayed like that or Seagal had dug his heels in, let's say they, they caved. I don't think you can make the movie this way. I don't think it would have been that good because it would yeah, have just turned into a, 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 you know, an airplane version of Under Siege, which. Oh time, yeah, yeah. yeah when, no, you when, had to do the twist where Seagal dies and be like shocked in the movie theater. Uh, which, uh, which I, I guess, I guess uh, we're we're bringing up now. Um, Steven I give Seagal, him credit. His character dies, <laughs> and it's uh, great in this movie. Oh man, which was great. really shocking at the time. Um, I unfortunately had it spoiled for me by uh, <laughs> some fucker in middle school, but uh. <laughs> uh but I remember that was like a massive talking point of uh, I don't know well, this would have been like seventh or eighth grade or something yeah. of people being like be really excited for this movie and like like Seagal fucking dies like and in my memory it was like ten minutes into the movie he actually makes it much much longer it's like thirty or forty five minutes in I mean, this is a long movie too I checked it is forty minutes and I think the problem is the movie is like over two hours. As like, if it was ninety minutes, he basically would have made it halfway, and I think that would have been fine. But you still have like an hour and a half left after he dies, so you basically still have a movie to watch. Um, and so I think that's what it was jarring. If you and it's blatantly like, oh, we're still like end of first act kind of yeah. thing, um, a bit here, maybe a little into act two, but. Uh, so you feel like we've got a long way to go <laughs> and we're not having Seagal with us, which now doesn't feel so bad as, as it did. Oh, uh, uh, no, that aged pretty well, actually. Yeah, that's <laughs> shocking me well. <laughs> it's actually very satisfying. I, um, I I imagine there are people who watch this movie <laughs> because of that. <laughs> at yeah, this point. Uh, Maybe John Leguizamo. <laughs> yeah, apparently him and him and uh, Leguizamo and Seagal did not get along on this, which I mean, that again holds holds water with pretty much every other movie that Seagal's done too it's not yeah, it was, his leg was told a story on um, some talk show where when Seagal showed up on set he gave this speech about how he was in charge of like the movie set and Leguizamo thought he was joking because it was an insane thing to do and say 
And he started laughing, and Seagal grabbed him and slammed him into a wall. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. So it's like I, they, they they apparently uh not not a lot of love there. <laughs> uh no, that that, that kind of goes in with a lot of stuff I've heard of of uh Seagal's notorious for I think he broke um before he was in acting, Sean Connery was training for Never Say Never Again, uh, which was a sort of it's a Bond movie that he made without without the Cubby Broccoli um, Eon team. And uh, Seagal was his trainer and I think one of the stunt coordinators on the movie. And apparently he broke Connery's wrist while showing him how to do karate like on set. And so they had to they had to like defer some filming and I think try and shoot around Connery being injured. So Seagal has a reputation for just generally being kind of a piece of shit yeah no i just googled it and apparently during like some training stuff seagal got angry at him and and there was an altercation and he ended up breaking his wrist <laughs> jesus yeah i mean like and he was just like the fight choreographer or something like yeah it's like, it's like, how did he have a i don't know like that doesn't career. make any sense you I, shouldn't i'm just like that should end your career yeah it's like you just broke james bond's arm you can't do that but unfortunately, he kept going. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately and unfortunately. Get this guy off the set and never let him on a set again. <laughs> we're covering a lot of Seagal territory. I apologize because I know we're going to hit him on. Um, yeah, we probably need to see Die Hard on a submarine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the cast. I like I liked the cast in this, and, and we left out the big one, the Oscar winner of of the group. Wait, we did um, Holly Berry. <laughs> Oh yeah, Halle Berry's in this. Is that, kind of yeah. pre pre fame, really big fame, Halle the, Berry. But but yeah, probably um, at the time in her career, probably a, a nice step into big movies, um, like the lead female in a big Hollywood action movie. Um, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to see, I, and she'd been in the Flintstones. I think it was like the secretary. Um, but yeah, nothing. Yeah. A lot of. Well, and yeah, no, she really Nothing had. She was, in, she was in Boomerang, yeah, just, mm-hmm. and then I think she had done. I don't see it on on I'm on Wikipedia, which is my mistake. She was also she had a small role in the Last Boy Scout in the early '90s. Um, that's not on there too, but yeah, th- I feel like this was the first time she got kind of a breakout role for um, people seeing seeing her be able to kind of stand on her own. Because then, if you look at everything she does after that, it's like. Okay, now it's like Highbury is the star of what what that movie is. It, yeah, do... it was just definitely getting bigger. Although, yeah, and I wonder if this helped her get a Storm and X Men. Um, That's what I was. I was kind of thinking. Movie credentials. Yeah, she has the um, wonderful title of Jinx Johnson in Die Another Day. <laughs> only a few years later. Yeah. God, I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Um. Uh. First, that's like one of the first times I really remember going to a theater and just being very disappointed by a movie. <laughs> yeah, and just well, it's probably also indicative of our age where it came out when we were the right age to be smart enough to, <laughs> to actually like to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, so um, the premise of this is. <laughs> And we haven't even talked talk about we just kind of talk about cast. Well, actually, I guess before we we talk talk about maybe the premise, the other thing that I thought was interesting was this is uh, 
this is directed by because this is a well shot and interesting looking movie um i think or it's a well done movie it it feels like even though it's an action movie in the 90s um which there's you know there's got a pretty good uh, cast it's a joel silver produced movie it's directed by Stuart baird Stuart baird i think is a a fairly infamous uh editor right and he also is an editor on this Um, yeah he's much more famous as an editor or probably i guess more uh actually yeah most of his credit is editor i mean his editing career trying to think of the right way yeah trying to think of the way way he's just i mean he's a great action movie editor like skyfall casino royale uh Tomb Raider, he did like Super Superman, Superman, Superman Two, Lethal Die Weapon, Hard, Die Hard Two, Tiny it back, Die Hard Two, yeah. editor, uh, Lethal Weapon oh. One, Two, Last Boy Scout, like we talked about with Halle Berry, and then going all the way up to like Casino Royale and Skyfall. Yeah. He he's uh, had a pretty good, pretty pretty good career, and I think he was sort of known for being able to help cobble stuff together that's maybe not always the most coherently put together when it's when it's filmed so which is funny because i don't i he directed three movies this u.s marshals and star trek nemesis and we've seen and, them all <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's nice on letterbox when you like check something it's like you've seen 100 percent of this person's movies uh, <laughs> good or bad uh, you've seen them all yeah uh and i actually of those movies i i might say this is the best directed one possibly I think so uh so I, I, yeah it's always interesting when I, it's like something as great an editor as he is something seems not quite there as a director for me um i i agree this then, feels a little too down the down the middle of the road generic and then they're they're even in this and we'll talk about it when we get to it but there's some editing choices that are just weird in this too that that didn't make sense to me so yeah, and I wonder if uh, some of it is he's looking at this. as an editor, and and then not maybe thinking about is maybe visually creative as some other directors might be, was approaching like what are we going to need like he's in the too editing technical. room or like too technical maybe yeah yes yeah, that's probably a good way to describe it but I I have no idea I mean, um, <laughs> just that's just. <laughs> Off the cuff <laughs> speculation. No, I, I I think it's a fair guess, and that was that was part of what I was wondering too, because it he's got the background to, for this to just be, uh, and it, it was a big deal. I mean, this was a was a fifty five million dollar budget, fifty five to sixty million dollar budget did one hundred and twenty two million, so that globally, which is that's a big deal. I mean, but you're right, it, it just doesn't visually. There's nothing that sets this apart from from other action movies it's just competently done and i think that that might be partly to its detriment yeah well in your notes you describe this as delta force with a budget Mm -hmm. and it very much is and it's it does still have that generic canon visual look but (coughs) polished up by a hollywood studio and then the director has the skill, knowledge, and probably mostly the time to do all the close-ups and insert shots you're going to need to edit action sequences to build yeah. tension and things that you miss in canon movies. Um, but 
it still feels you're not getting some like impressive like dolly zooms or yeah well and just yeah the 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 color palette in it it's kind of you know bland and i mean that's one thing that's funny is this movie takes place over a couple of hours and it's always uh magic hour outside the plane it's always (laughs) like right around sunset so which works awesome when they're doing night vision (laughs) uh yeah yeah um which never is never actually needed so um so i I agree. It's well done. It's a shame that it doesn't look perhaps better than than it than it does. I, I guess that was my my only real yeah. It's, it's falling. It's a well done movie. Like, it, I mean, it's like oh, it's like a Hollywood produced movie in like 1996. Like it looks good, but in just a generic Hollywood way. Yeah, I will say, and, and we're going to talk on this more when we do, <laughs> we do uh, Air Force One. This doesn't really have any CGI that I could noticeably tell and it's sort of a thank god because at this time they really just didn't have it down yet and i think it was still a still a a big gap for a lot of studios so everything that's here is practical effects like i think all all the the effects they do for the remora system they use to move between the airplanes and the the shots of the the plane itself are all model or scale models and so it looks yeah those look good yeah uh, and that was just one thing that stood out to me is is this is thankfully a, a you know pre CGI everything era of made of, uh, oh, in, in I can't imagine movie. how awful this movie would look if if, if they, they tried had a to bunch fake of, like that, CGI uh, and stuff like yeah because yeah, it would have aged terribly like yeah you know. no no I'm I'm it, thankfully I think that how how it's aged terribly is just go look at Air Force One in the, in the last <laughs> last scene when the plane goes down. Um, yeah that and was that's like that's is bad a, um a better directed movie but it's not much you can do with <laughs> shitty 1997 cgi <laughs> nope <laughs> so uh uh all right so this is about <clears throat> a um a uh special forces team that uh sorry thank you um that uh Steven Seagal bring you Steven Seagal Steven Seagal yeah Steven Seagal brought me my coffee um <laughs> and uh it's it starts it kicks off in Trieste which I didn't know where Trieste was and the in the weird dinky map they show us at the beginning doesn't make any <laughs> any help of of showing me where this is but it's it's in Italy and uh it's about a special forces team that's trying to find a um some DZ5 nerve gas uh, that DZ5 nerve gas is <clears throat> apparently like it's one of those special weapons where you know one <laughs> drop of it could kill an entire building of people. And yeah, of course, there's a terrorist cell that has gallons of this stuff that's been put into a weapon. Or that's one of my favorite '90s tropes <laughs> of uh, Kurt Russell's in the meeting, and he gets like, and they're talking about like. Uh oh! Is this what can it do? Anger from someone's like coffee cup or water cup, um, yep. and he's like, "This much would be enough to kill everyone in Washington D.C." Or like, <laughs> I, I, the Rock does it really well too. Yeah, I, I, I always, I always love that scene <laughs> in, in in any movie where it's going to be some minuscule amount of something can murder a, a like unbelievable amount of people. <laughs> 
It's like, I don't think that would be anything yeah, to do that. <laughs> I'm gonna call bullshit on that one. Yeah. So, but yeah, the whole premise uh, opens up with this uh, this assault on on um, uh, a Chechen a Chechen mafia is how it's been described. Uh, um, hideout in Italy. They're looking for this chemical, <laughs> and uh, it's not there. And so that kind of kicks the plot off. And then there's a weird transition where it's like. Uh, an opener where there's a lot of action and the special forces team that's led by Steven Seagal breaks in. They wipe out all of these terrorists and then they go and they, they look for the crates where this, this nerve gas is. It's not there. And then it's just this bizarre sort of fade out cut of them walk like, Oh, well, I guess we're just going to walk away. And then it's like four months later. <laughs> yeah. time off. And it's Kurt Russell uh, learning his uh, and this will come back later. Don't worry. <laughs> Getting his pilot's license, and uh, uh, as soon as he lands, it then goes to another weird editing technique, <laughs> where one of his team is trying to like wave him down, let him know that there's been a uh, a kidnapping of a, a key. It's a key um, uh, terrorist terrorist <laughs> leader. Yeah, but it's done as if it's a flashback, and it's the strangest. It's this guy named Jaffa who's at a wedding, and uh, <laughs> it's played by the guy who was the one-armed man in uh, <laughs> the Fugitive. Uh, it's a guy named Andreas uh, Ketsulis, and uh, it's it's a weird cut. They make it a big deal, and, and they shoot the whole thing in that like washed out, like oversaturated CPS Middle Eastern yeah. style of the time, and it's like. It's been like overdone to the point, where, and then like the music they have during it is like this feels kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was before people realized like, oh, using music and like a like a color tone as a generic geographical uh, you know placeholder is not a nice thing to do. <laughs> there, there's a great thing online I saw. I've said it said it was really funny where. Um, they they do that with um, Mexico. Oh yeah, I was gonna often, say, um, where they like like Soderbergh put a did filter it with, on uh, it over. To, yeah, exactly. Like that, and so it makes it look like really seedy and dangerous. And it was like someone doing like side by side shots. It's like <laughs> here's how this actually looks, yep. and here's how the movie made it look. And it's like, and it's like, and they're doing that because it's like Mexico, and they're trying to signal like, oh, it's like poverty. You're like, it's, it's just like <laughs> many many things. This is trying to signal, and it's like, yeah, it is kind of fucked up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it is, uh, and, and and I think this is probably one of the earlier, <clears throat> earlier takes on doing exactly that. But it's funny they shoot it as if it's a flash. They present it to the audience as if it's a flashback, <laughs> yeah. but it's a flashback that nobody who's on on set or like or not on set, but who's in the scene they're showing you, was actually privy to. <laughs> so it's very weird. Right. It's, it's again, it, it's a weird choice for in a very a, stylistic way, and I don't entirely understand what the point of that is uh not much because it doesn't get you anywhere and it, 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 again it always jars me as a as a editor of, of baird's caliber it seems like a weird choice for him to to make so i i never really got that but hey who am i who am i to judge yeah <laughs> but it does um it, it is something this many years removed from the movie <laughs> that when you're watching um it it is not unentertaining because it's just it's like <laughs> what are they doing? What is this choice? And so it's something like I don't know that it's like man like we were doing some weird shit in the nineties at times in action movies. 
And it was working at the time. That's um, the sad. <laughs> yeah. Because it's almost like, I almost want to say like John Woo inspired. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Because it's kind of slow mo. But it's not. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's not shot using slow motion film. It looks like it was shot at like a normal like 24 frame film rate. But that they slowed it down purposely. And it's after the fact, it doesn't look as crisp or well done. It's weird. It's weird. That's all I can say. So anyway, that that that's our intro to Kurt Russell's character, who's yeah, a yeah. <laughs> CIA analyst, and um, he he's fascinated or he's excited that uh, that this terrorist Joff has been kidnapped by uh, I, I I can't remember if it was U.S. or if it was just I think maybe it was um, British intelligence that kidnapped him. Because they bounce back and forth between like London and that's right. Because there is the London scene. With the there's just bombing a, it. yeah, and so there's a London bombing <laughs> not long after this, and it's it's a retaliation for um, for Jaffa, and then uh, David Suchet is that? I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, he plays um, the the other sort of I don't know if I'm his partner, but he plays Hassan, who is. Like the other, the, the de facto head of this terrorist organization now that uh, Joff has been kidnapped. And so that that leads into um, Hassan's team taking over a 747 that's leaving, I think, Athens and on its way to the United States. So that's kind yeah, of like our right. our burning platform for the movie. And that, that's our clock to the everybody thinks they well, it's being presented that they're going to kidnap everybody in the plane and ransom them until they get uh, Jaffa back. Uh, but what what they don't really tell you is, of course, the DZ five that we were we were shown to be at this safe house uh, a few months earlier. The first part of the movie is actually on the plane, and they've basically turned. Uh, and this is creepy in a pre nine eleven world. Uh, they've yeah. turned this entire seven forty seven into basically a big chemical bomb that are going to blow up over DC. And it's like, but it's like there's enough ga- like that gas on there, or something. It's like going to take out like the eastern seaboard. Kind yeah, of, I was like, kind of, of course, like, yeah. So, um, so that's that's kind of our our big setup. Uh, Kurt Russell's team is put onto it for the intelligence, and then of course, uh, Kurt Russell's paired up then with uh, Colonel Travis, uh, Steven Seagal, and his team uh, <laughs> after they realized that. That they were both responsible for the the missing DC five. There's a there's conflict there where where Seagal believes that Kurt Russell gave him bad intel, and Kurt Russell just keeps telling him that his team was late. So there's this already this tension between sort of the two alphas in this uh, in this group. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's supposed to in the script supposed to kind of be like a red herring <laughs> for you think we're building to a movie of those two guys like always like butting heads and eventually having to learn to work together and then. So it really surprises you when um, Travis dies. Yeah. Um, or if it, it was um, just Seagal. Not fully. Yeah. <laughs> or just Seagal being Seagal. I would love to hear if if the original script Travis doesn't die, then and they just get tired of working with Seagal. <laughs> <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me. I do think I do think it the problem we have is we this is you know, this movie's like almost 30 years old. And to your point, the big Jesus. turn in it was was the fact that uh, <clears throat> Seagal dies. And I think if in 1996 you're seeing this for the first time, it probably is a pretty good red herring um, because it's such a yeah. it's such a it would be <clears throat> such a surprise. I think that that happens, and they do do a pretty good job teasing it that there's going to be 
some sort of conflict that's coming with uh with uh Travis and what is Kurt Russell's character's name? <laughs> oh, um, um, David Grant. Uh, David Grant, the most generic name it could be. Uh, yes, <laughs> so, I, I think they, they they are trying to build up to that. I also think it's a little bit of uh, Kurt Russell's character is kind of not his typical action action character role. It's more buttoned down. It's supposed to be a CIA analyst. Yeah, he's and supposed to be a little he's not like he, Yeah, uh, like and, he, and he's like he he kind of underplays it uh the whole movie. I think that that for the better. So I think it's a more toned down Kurt Russell and I, I think there's supposed to be sort of a handoff of the baton for the action movie thing when Seagal's character dies. Like you you're expecting Seagal to be an alpha. Kurt Russell is not a beta, but he's he's kind of deferring to Travis right. in this. And so I think it, I, I think there's a there's a good dynamic there. I I enjoyed that part of it. I also yeah, enjoy that they they resolve it pretty quick. Yeah, and I, no, I think that scene's fantastic where Seagal does die, and he, I think he's really good. <laughs> and credit to Seagal, I think he's actually very good in this role. Um, and I think some of that is a, a natural arrogance he has yeah. <laughs> that he's just tapping into for this, but it works really well, and I think helps. You just do not expect this guy to die. He just seems. No, I, you're right. It just seems like such an in control authority figure guy in a movie. He just seems like the action hero, and yeah. that guy never dies. Uh, they say he never dies. <laughs> um, but I do uh, love the moment where uh, they're so they're trying to in secret. There is so uh, Oliver Platt's character is kind of this like engineer, and he's invented this device. It's basically this like tube that lets you from like a stealth plane board another plane in flight. And so they're trying to do that to infiltrate uh, the plane to take it back from the terrorists before they get to like past like a fail safe point where it's too late. Um, They can't shoot the plane down because it'll spread the gas kind of thing. Uh, And so like they're going, um, sending the team up and one of the characters knocks off the sensor thing. And so, they figure out like something's going on. We do. And so like, they just, the planes are pulling apart. Um, Seagal's still in the tube. Russell's up there. And Pod's like, we gotta, we gotta like abort this. We gotta, I gotta disconnect. Like we're all going to die. Um, it's, it's like a classic. Um, <laughs> Russell's like, we're not going to make it. And Seagal gives a great, you are and slams the door <laughs> shut. The thing disconnects and his body gets like ripped out into the air. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, and it, but it's like a really ho- heroic death, a really cool moment. I think it all works really well. And I remember, like, I remember it's if you don't know it's coming, it's pretty shocking. And no, it really yeah. does feel you really do feel that, like, holy shit! Now, like Kurt Russell and these like two or three other, or probably no, probably three or four other guys have to figure out how to do this without like the leader, and it's it's. it's yeah, no, it's a nice, it's a nice movie moment. Um, where it's, it's like, oh my god, Carl is going to step up and save the day. And I, I think, and to your point, in, in, in a movie that could be a little bit more, a little generic action movie, it's a nice twist that probably nobody sees coming. At least in 1996, nobody sees that coming. Um, and it's, it's, it's a nice... I would put it up there with like Scream, where like everybody's <laughs> the movie poster feature, features Drew Barrymore, and then she's literally the first person killed within the first. Five or ten yeah, I was. It's it's very it's probably very similar like horror genre, action genre, 
kind of going the postmodern a little bit of like <clears throat> we're we're very aware of what we're making and so and so we're looking for ways to tweak the formula and like twist twist that for dramatic effect. Do you um, think that uh Wes Craven <laughs> ripped off executive decision? I think they oh. came out was when did same year? Out? Same year. I was gonna say. I, I think was looking at like, together, but yeah, it's same year. Uh, Although I mean, you know, the, I'm sure the script was kicking around. Like you never know if he read it, and <laughs> was like, "What? A, that's a great idea." <laughs> Kill off the person you think is gonna be the lead. All right. So, Scream came out December Which, 20th. I mean, also like Psycho, Psycho did that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's for decades before. So it's not like <laughs> we're not gonna that. say they're pulling from anything. Like that's probably that the, original. the big yeah. one. To, yeah, fair. And that's uh, definitely the Psycho move. <laughs> Um, um yeah so i i uh i did i did enjoy that as well i i think it, and i think it's a good setup of not nobody really seems to kind of alpha their way into the leadership role after that um you, even you can tell like Liguizamo's characters like scared of what they're going to do and the crux of it is once the team the special forces team is on the plane what they're trying to figure out is okay we can't communicate with anybody else outside the plane because whatever reason their communications gear didn't make it yeah, I think and it's just they they were they're, mid. They're, yeah, they're stranded. Transported between them. Yeah, and yeah that, that some of the gear didn't come. So that's, you know, convenient. But uh, for, for the things this movie does for plot conveniences, that's the least of the, the crimes. Uh, yeah, that's that's true, too. That's true, too. So I, I but I, I like I like the setup. I, to me, it's 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 plausible. And I think um I think it works, works pretty well to to sort of you've now got your your main team on their heels and they're kind of without all of their tools and so they're they're trying to figure their way out through this without without um one tripping uh tipping off the terrorist and two without um uh without and this is before they realize there's a bomb on the plane so they kind of have to go through that whole discovery process too so yeah and i, I like nice it. it gets to the diehard setup of um kurt russell is kind of it's it's not quite like <clears throat> The everyman type character, the way no, he looked, try to he, make John McClane. He's too but good looking. <laughs> he... That hair? No way he's the everyday everyday man. He's cloth. closer. He's... Uh, yeah, it, it, but it's funny for like the diehard formula um of putting someone in this situation. He's still like a CIA analyst who can fly a plane. <laughs> it's like um, and I get yeah, like John McClane's a cop, so he is also like equipped with some skills somewhat to handle the situation. But it's still, I don't know, something in this one feels like it's not quite as like this. And I guess it's also the fact that he has this team of Navy SEALs still, yeah, <laughs> with him. Yeah, that that's where it does kind of deviate from the diehard formula, and that kind of it does uh, pretty well. So. One thing actually reminded me I wanted to talk talk about was now we're talking about Kurt Russell's character. Uh he makes he really leans in on on using hockey as a way to try and get laid. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's 1996. <laughs> it's nineteen ninety-six. We're only a year away, a year out from um the the sudden uh or sudden death <laughs> release. Yeah. Now um, I want to look up uh the nineteen ninety-six Washington Capitals. <laughs> why were they not good? I don't know. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, so what I was looking at was, I think we're going to have like a sports theme all the way through this. Uh, 
because in Die Hard, I think there's it's USC versus Notre Dame game that they're watching. It's I think it's a basketball game they're watching when uh, um, Reginald Vell Johnson's walking through the lobby and the fake security guard is watching a, a basketball game. So that's basketball. We already covered sudden death, which is the whole thing is built around uh, the NHL just not caring what you do with their their image in 1995. <laughs> Uh, and then this, uh, David Grant really leads into the his love of hockey. Uh, you and I already kind of skipped ahead. Uh, and the next movie we're going to cover is another Die Hard on a Plane, which is uh, Air Force One. Yes. Uh, that has a huge uh, uh, focus for a few minutes on the president just getting to watch, was it Michigan Notre Dame play? Yeah. <laughs> so it's I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. I just want to keep watching this this sports throughput of all of these. <laughs> If they keep finding a way to get these, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of the get other ones games we're gonna watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't remember there being any football games in Passenger 57 or Under Siege. So really Un- sure. Under Siege seems like it'd be tough <laughs> that they're out at sea. <clears throat> um, I also feel like Seagal, Seagal has no personality. Like, people are like, Oh, do you like football? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't enjoy sports unless it's karate, and karate is yeah. not a sport, it's an art. <laughs> so, I just <laughs> <laughs> He has no humor. He just suffers suffers nothing for that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, David Grant's character just really twice they show him talking to women about, "Hey, I can get you uh, hockey tickets." <laughs> yeah, his, his go to move for asking a woman out seems to be like, <laughs> "Hey, I got tickets to the Capitals." <laughs> like, and, and so, and I looked at the ninety five, ninety six, and ninety six, ninety seven Washington Capitals were not anything special. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like the hottest ticket in town or. Is this is this pickup lines before StubHub existed? Is that how <laughs> is that how this works? Yeah, I mean, I do feel it was a different time. Like you can just jump on your phone, and, like buy tickets to anything. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing. I don't know. It's this. It's it's just a weird character thing, and I, I don't know what they're. It's one of those things where, like, on the set, they, they obviously had something in their mind, and then when you when you watch the movie, you know, thirty years on, you're like, well, what what were they trying to do? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> completely lost on me <laughs> so all right so in the movie jim morton plays cappy and he is um i mean obviously he's but he's also the one who's going to defuse the bomb but somehow during the turbulence of the plane separating and stuff he gets injured and is paralyzed and I'm never quite clear exactly how he gets paralyzed. I don't. I don't actually think he's paralyzed. I think he. I think he fractures. Or he his gets neck like a and they right, he gets some kind of spinal yeah. injury. Or like, so they immobilize yeah. him so he doesn't. He doesn't damage yeah. it further. But because yeah. he can still move his hands and stuff. And to your point, I'm like, I, I kind of have the same thing. I'm like, I think it's just they're trying to tell you he's hurt, and so they're gonna immobilize him to keep it, keep him. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so it, they're really. Uh, and for the, this is fine to me, um, but these the, the times they go too far in this movie, they're really trying to push the tension by putting these roadblocks in place at times. So, so with like, oh, the, the guy who can defuse the bomb, like now he can't move, so he's gonna have to talk someone else through it or characters. To... Uh, you're breaking up without, but... without him. There you are. Um, just like keep escalating. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. Uh, but they just keep pushing and escalating things, and it's like to the degree where it's like, okay, enough's enough. Like at some point, we need these people to actually do something, not just keep hitting roadblocks. And it, it just feels like they're really 
they, they could have cut 20 minutes out of this movie. And they should have um, pretty easily. And I think it'd be, uh, it would be totally fine. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, I, I enjoy the movie. I do think it's, it is 20 minutes too long, which is weird for an action. It's weird to have like a sort of action movie slash semi drama thriller. That's, that's over two hours long. Um, but yeah. anyway, I, I, was, I, I, I was stunned when I looked put it to watch this and saw how long it was. I know that's everything else we do like, is like why? 90 minutes and I'm like oh I can knock this out I got 90 minutes <laughs> I can find a window I'm like two hours I'm like oh man but I guess I guess I didn't I guess I maybe didn't realize what the studio was thinking this was because for like a year later I think this basically had the same budget as Air Force One yes um, so like I mean this is like the I guess this is like a big tentpole movie for them at least production wise I don't know. I believe it came out in the spring, not the summer. So whenever they, whatever they got, they maybe were less confident. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. March fifteenth, which is not a. That's not a good window. That's showing a lot of confidence from the studio and what they had. And then I would not disagree with uh What else was probably coming out that summer? You think, you think they pulled it forward, um, based on. Based on how it how it looked, because isn't this the same year as Independence Day? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I I, I kind of think so. I, I think they thought it'd get lost in the summer that it just wasn't. Oh yeah. Okay. So all the here's the summer blockbusters that that this movie's thankful it probably was downwind of before. <laughs> um, Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock. Oh wow. Um, and I'll I'll stick to yeah. action movies. Eraser. A Time to Kill. It's not really an action movie. Um, all of those, and actually, Eraser is the lowest on here um, of kind of those those movies. It did 101 million, so it did less than this, which is not surprising. But is that 101 million domestic or global? Uh, total, total gross. Total? Dom- wow. Domestic was only 97, which that's low for an Arnold movie. Yeah, that doesn't seem quite. But but the, put it in perspective, yeah. Independence Day only did three times that globally. Okay. So, yeah, and, I, I know the global stuff was a lot just different back then. Yeah. Um, well, so Independence Day did 280 domestic, 281 domestic, and then Eraser was 97. That's yeah, still about three times. So, and, anyway, inter- it's interesting that th- this does fall kind of on box office. This does sort of fall in the meat of the curve for, for action movies that year, even though it's not a summer blockbuster. Yeah. I think in the summer it gets lost with. Mm-hmm. With all I that stuff, so, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, so I, I, you're right. There are too many roadblocks, and I think that does kind of drag it out. Um, they do have some fun stuff of them sneaking around the inside of the plane. I do like that, and they're sneaking around and trying not to get caught by Hassan's team. Uh, the whole premise here is they find the bomb, and they realize that uh, they can't diffuse it at least not as easily as they they thought they could um they have that's another that's another hat on the hat they they, they introduced to us uh, yes that's that's what i was looking for to describe it because they take they make the guy who can defuse it like, injured and he can't do it <laughs> and then the bomb has is like a fake bomb within the bomb that they initially try to defuse and and so then you go through the whole bomb defusing scene just to find out this was a fake 
and they have to go deeper into the bomb to to find it. And it's like, okay, so we're gonna do all that again. And so yep. they go do that, and then they're like close, and then it's like, oh, there are lasers inside the bomb that <laughs> we have to get past. And it's like, all right, guys, I I, I know you're gonna defuse the bomb. Like the end of this movie is not the whole eastern seaboard of the United States yeah. dies. So like, but I'm willing to suspend disbelief a couple times for for the tension of the movie but like you can't keep hitting me with more roadblocks on this bomb no i think for the most i the it, it's okay to me i it's not the end of the world because it does feel like if they didn't have that they, they they do it in the way the reason they're doing it i think is they're trying to set up tension that while the rest of the team is up upstairs or well sorry the rest of the plane trying to basically find out who the sleeper is because that's the other thing they introduce is that nobody actually knows what hassan uh, or the sleeper looks like they know he's it's a bomb maker that's somewhere on the plane but they don't know who who it is or what he looks like and so um i like that they're having to try and scout and figure out who that guy is without getting caught but it, you kind of have to have like that bomb tension otherwise you the, it's just it's literally just cappy and cahill sitting in, in like the <laughs> like the storage area and not, not doing anything. So it is kind of like a, okay, it's a good counterbalance. But mm. to your point, I did laugh when there's one point where they're, they're diffusing the bomb and they realize that like the entire top layer of the bomb is fake. And so they yeah. cut back and they kind of do this pan across the top of the bomb. And it literally looks like they just took a big box with like bomb shit on top and just opened it up. And now they're like working <laughs> underneath yeah. that. <laughs> like, all right, guys, like, that's all right. This is too much. Like, this, this uh, is fucking ridiculous. But no, actually, I think that's a great point of why they probably have this because they do have to spend a lot of time looking for that sleeper. Yeah. Or like trying to communicate with Holly Berry or they're looking for. And there's not a lot. Those scenes are not the most exciting. No. And, and they, they got to so build kind of need though. the tension to yeah. cut it with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's true. I, it's, but but that's to a good point. You probably really miss it hit really slow and boring if you didn't at least have some tension well and the, the to your point like you only have two real tension points in this right and and that's probably why they play them out a little too much the first one is okay they get caught and they get killed uh while they're they're either looking for the sleeper or they're trying to get set up or they're trying you know they get killed while they're going through the plane the second one would be the bomb going off and they know that if they go below a certain altitude, it's going to go off. They know if they go past a certain uh, point, the, the, the aura, what do you call it? The air force can't intervene and shoot the plane down. Right. So that's kind of the problem is it's, it's a two hour movie and you spend what, like almost an hour and a half on the plane. And, and you just keep pinballing between those two, those two points so that, that does get to your point played out eventually where you're like, okay, got it. Um, can't get caught uh can't let the bomb go off no, no matter how complicated it is and it just and and they also play it out they they can't they're gonna try to raid the cabin and take the terrace but they can't because there's the sleeper there who can detonate the bomb whenever he wants yeah and so if they go too early he's gonna do that and so there's like also a lot of scenes where they're just about to like try to take the cabin and they're like, no, wait, stop. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Like I think that happens twice at least. Yeah. And so but as like the audience, like that 
the one time having that like build up to oh we're gonna get the action scene and then you don't get it is work but i think it, it happens like a second time yep <laughs> and it's like oh my god just like go like, like well, i'm, I'm yeah. ready like let's do this yeah i i uh, agreed it, that's where it, it could have probably been uh 20 minutes shorter and uh but I, I like the parts where you have Kurt Russell kind of getting into it and, and he's got he's got skin in the game and he's he's trying to go and scout and and help uh what do you call him? Uh Leguizamo's character's name is Rat, which is hilarious. Yeah, which is an odd choice, but yeah. <clears throat> um and I think that uh that that stuff sort of trying to bring his character forward is more of the action hero is is good. And I liked all of that, but I don't know, like a lot a lot of tension. Halle Berry, to her credit, she has to carry a lot of this movie of just like having very tense scenes with her, uh, her character and Hassan. And 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 so she's sort of constantly battling to try and and hide uh, uh, hide stuff for either the guys that are un- within the plane or hide like the passenger manifest and stuff like that. So I, I, I think she she does a lot more work than everybody else. in this. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, even in Die Hard... I guess because they're on like the walkie-talkie, you feel like it's McLean versus Gruber in yeah a lot of ways, and this feels more like it's Holly Berry <laughs> versus she's, she's the front the of terrorist the, yeah. like at times more so, uh, and she's good and it works it works just fine, um, but it's funny for what's a, a diehard <laughs> kind of movie. Well, uh, speaking of of diehard. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the Ellis proxy in this, the JT Walsh role, <laughs> uh, where he? Uh, yes, he I've been itching to get into this one. And, uh, yeah, yeah JT Walsh shot. plays a senator who has like presidential aspirations, <laughs> and so when he gets on the plane, the stewardesses, our flight attendants, are um, like, "Is that who I think it is?" Like, "Oh yeah." And then for like 30 minutes, they don't tell us who it was. <laughs> <laughs> it just sits there. He just sits there and watches TV. Which is very funny to me. I'm like, okay, who was that? Like, it's a movie character. Like, we, and for a movie that has a, like a million little like text Chiron things going across the bottom half the time explaining locations and things <laughs> to leave like that unexplained is very funny. Um, but so he's like chief of staff is like talking to him. It's like this could be a big opportunity for us. Uh, like, think if you're the one who like negotiates what like the terrorists letting the hostages go, like it's a like you're gonna win the presidency for sure, kind of thing. <laughs> There's uh, no doubt. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so they set it up early where he like JT Walsh's character center, he calls the head terrorist over and is like, is like, you know, like who I am or whatever. Like, I, I know people in Washington, and then like you need to negotiate, like, I can get it done for you. And the guy's like, okay, okay. And, like, but meanwhile, like, of... the guy has no intention of negotiating. He's going to crash his plane. <laughs> like, I, I um, did. I didn't like that. That Hassan was like, "Do not worry. When we need you, we will yes. call on you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's pretty good setup. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> um, and what's even better, they do this again in Air Force One. <laughs> of, they with do the Ellis proxy. Um, so in Die Hard, there's Ellis, the character who's. Is, gets on the walkie-talkie and is pretending he's friends with McLean, and he's like, "They're gonna kill me if you don't like." It's like, how, "Like you're my old friend. Like we got to do this." Um, and then obviously Hans Gruber kills him, and the exact same thing happens in the movie. The senator goes in the cockpit to call Washington and negotiates, um, 
negotiations don't go as planned and they immediately kill the senator <laughs> to prove like how serious they are about this and it's like <laughs> shit went really bad for him fast <laughs> like, uh yeah he well i mean I, I like i said i actually liked it I, jt walsh always kind of plays that that you know squirmy kind of something's not quite right about him guy yeah and, and that's kind of how the senator is the senator comes off as sort of uh spineless and and afraid but all, all he's trying to do is is basically mo- like move forward his political aspirations like that's his entire motivation so it's not like it, it it didn't land to me as well as ellis being killed because it has a sense of humor um but here it's it's a lot more brutal <laughs> it's just like yeah all right fuck this guy uh, but it's always funny in these movies when you get this scene like that's so directly lifted <laughs> from that moment <laughs> I, well it made me realize how much better Die Hard did it right because the the build up yeah. for Die Hard is, is is more enjoyable and to your point it feels like there's they just kill him here and just tell everybody hey we just shot the sitter yeah <laughs> and Die Hard they're using it as bait to try and get to pull McLean out I think that's it's there's a lot more going on too with the end yeah it's also in Die Hard, what I love is they set up Ellis as like this sleazy 80s corporate douchebag who's doing cocaine and you immediately don't like him. And you could see where like McLean would really not like him because it's like this guy is like working with my wife is definitely a scumbag. He would definitely try to fuck my wife like while she's out here living in L.A. And, and, and like, I think he tried. Right. Try. And it's like it's like this. I, I immediately dislike everything about this guy in this situation. And so. And then, so then, when they it's and it's not like they're and this it's not like they're calling Kurt Russell. No, to, they're calling like a room full of senators or uh, right. military guys that 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 don't have. Where, any... So when we get to Air Force One, Air Force One does a little more diehard style where yeah, it's directed. Um, it's directed at the her- the hero trying to and trying. Oh, I guess to Air Force One kind of does it twice, don't they? Yeah. They do it with his yeah. kids, and they do it with one of his staffers yeah. and stuff. It's they like, do, yeah, it's, it's... yeah, funny. Um, so one's more like this, and one's more diehard. So they, <laughs> they, they, they went for both. <laughs> um, well, I, I yeah, I, so I I didn't. Yeah, every time you move, I see evil's face. Um, yeah. The um, but anyway, diehard. There's more character, like revealing, and yes. between McLean, um, between Powell, the cop, and the other cops out there, and then you know, in this. And this is just like, oh, it just tells you what Hassan's evil, which you kind of already know. <laughs> you know, like, also, like, the JT Walsh character, he's literally just there for this scene. <laughs> like, he does nothing yeah. else. Yeah, he does, he does, you're right. He does They could else. completely have cut him and cut this scene from the movie, and it would be no different. But they needed, like, the, the Ellis from Die Hard scene. <sighs> yeah, that's a good point. That's, uh, that's pretty depressing, actually. <laughs> you could have just removed. <laughs> But it, 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 I don't know. It, it's almost like they're like, "Well, we got this guy. We we got to at least use him." Yeah. And we, but you're right. Like it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't move the plot along. It just reaffirms that that he's evil, and it <laughs> lets everybody who's who's all of the military who are not on the plane know that okay, we can't we can't trust him, and and, and we have to be be careful. I don't know. You're right. It it, it is kind of superfluous. Yeah, so. just with a movie where it's a pretty long running time, that stuff can sometimes really jump out at you. <laughs> watching, of uh, it's like wow, this feel is pretty tacked on. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> it is. 
Well, all right. So let's let's jump forward. Um, the uh, the team eventually f- figures out how they have to. They're going to have to defuse the bomb. I think that the that they show fighter jets getting in position to basically shoot the plane down. Um, Kurt Russell and his ex brother in law go to the back of the plane <laughs> and they <laughs> they hotwire the uh, landing lights and they Morse code to the to the pilots the and the fighter jets behind them that they're on board and they need ten minutes and even though they've crossed the boundary the point of no return for the eastern seaboard right and. Uh, the whole team finally does set up, and I think they realize that they that they have to do the best they can to try and uh, take retake the plane, take out the terrorist, and and their only risk is okay if it doesn't work, the the bomb maker may actually set off the bomb. Yeah, because uh, Kurt Russell's not been able to narrow narrow down who it is. So, um, I don't know. I I thought this was a pretty good action sequence. I know you had some gripes about the night vision. <laughs> <laughs> well, just they make a big deal of these night vision goggles. Like it's a huge and, advantage, right? That it's going to be a massive advantage. But then, the the it's daytime outside, and all like the window shades are open on the plane, so they cut the lights. But the sun is still streaming in from all sides of the plane, <laughs> so it's still extremely bright in there. Like it's like, oh yeah, this night vision doesn't mean shit. Like. Because in my head when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, it's going to be pitch black. Night vision is going to be a massive advantage. They're going to like destroy these guys. Um, and immediately it's like, oh, the night vision didn't matter at all. <laughs> no, it's like uh, slightly dimmed. <laughs> yeah. Compared to what it was <laughs> Almost to the point where it's like, I don't know if night vision would work. I think there's too much light. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Um well, I, I like this. It was a pretty good action sequence. They have some some crazy tropes, and also the 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 sort of X factor in all of this is uh, Kurt Russell gets real sweaty. He puts on a hoodie <laughs> and he 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 sneaks his way upstairs to to go find the sleeper. And I I couldn't remember. Well, no, they tell him they tell him to do that. I forgot because I thought it was like, uh, or no, does he do it on his own? Does he I think just... he kind of does it on his own? Where okay. it's like we gotta go like. And, and yeah, um, and so he he sneaks upstairs and he hides behind Halle Berry and uses her to sort of cover to make his way through the cabin. And uh, um, uh, to your point, he fails <laughs> during yeah. this action sequence. <laughs> and uh, the the bomb maker actually manages to get uh, the remote device set up, and 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 right before he dies, um, sets off the bomb. But thankfully, the one kind of weird nuanced switch <laughs> yeah. that it had uh, uh, doesn't or it gets stopped by Cahill, um, which to me, I, well, I'll be honest. How does he, he stop it? <laughs> with a straw, with a straw he's been chewing on the entire movie. I was I kept thinking like that flimsy piece of shit is not going to hold in there for all the turbulence and the bad landing. I'm like, there's well, at one no point way. they have to like reposition it during the turbulence too. Yeah. To your but point. like, would, would you trust yourself to like try and readdress it? Yeah, straw no, it's like a quarter inch <laughs> wide because. Because like I I feel like that was that was the most implausible part of this, and it, it's it is a borderline like laughable. Yeah, it's like it's our, silly. our age now of like oh the reverse engineered plot like <laughs> yeah. thing of we needed him we needed a setup and a payoff in this bomb diffuser. So from the moment we meet him, he's going to be chewing on a straw, and that, that's what's going to pay this off. And it's like really like yeah. put this from the beginning it's not it's just there to defuse the bomb 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't particularly like that, but I do like the the gunfight stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, they of course have a terrorist. <laughs> they shoot him in the chest, and he just is like spins and is just spraying <laughs> <machine gun> fire. <laughs> and then, then I, I forgot they actually kill like four passengers because that blows a hole in the uh, side of the plane, and that sucks out like one entire section of the airplane. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and then I've, I, I think you had gripes with this too. Uh, everybody, I think they, every, all the terrorists have been shot. And then, uh, Hassan reveals that he is not dead and he gets up while, uh, uh, John Leguizamo is walking to the cabin to, to radio to Washington that they've, they've retaken the plane. And then Hassan gets up and just shoots him in the back. And then Kurt Russell goes up to find out what's going on. And Hassan's just standing there. And uh, uh, Kurt Russell, I guess Kurt Russell dropped his gun. Yeah, he dropped his gun at this point. So he he um, is is doesn't have any weapons. And then Hassan just spins and blasts a hole through the uh, uh, what do you call it? The the cockpit it kills both pilots. And then John Leguizamo just starts shooting him. And turns out John Leguizamo not dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, why did you wait? Why did you like? Yeah, like five seconds earlier. Like... I don't know. It just didn't make any sense. I thought it was. It, it, I guess it's just tension. You you need a device. Right. To... And, and again, like he just got shot. It's so like he's you know not on his A game. <laughs> it may have taken, <laughs> may have taken a little longer to do it. But it's just, um, it's just one of like the perfect like everything has to line up, so that Kurt Russell has to land the plane. <laughs> yeah, and he, <laughs> of course, all the controls are, are destroyed or not destroyed, but like they're messed up, and it's gonna be very hard for Kurt Russell to land it. But of course. Thank God we saw him getting his pilot's license at the beginning of the movie. Which, which also is hilarious because he's getting his license and it's like a like one like propeller prop plane. Yeah, thing. he's in a, he's like, like in a, a Cessna. Zero chance he could do like a seven forty seven. Like, yeah, the complexities are a little little bigger. <laughs> it is the great part is in the scene that like Holly Berry is behind him with like the flight manual, like looking shit up, and it's like <laughs> really <laughs> underestimate how like like she's. Like, she's, she's doing a lot of work super, she has a superpower of being able to like access information i mean in i guess this way possible you kind of have to so yeah so it but, it now becomes a uh no longer is it a terrorist movie it's now a uh airplane disaster movie <laughs> and in keeping with the movie's uh trips of like a hat on a hat and always needing to escalate higher um, and it just it just feels like studio notes of like, can we make this bigger? Can we make this bigger? And yeah, so Kurt Russell goes to land at like Dulles, I think, or JFK or um, a DC airport. And as they're getting close to landing, he's like, nope, like I, I didn't do it right. Like we can't like we're all going to die if I keep. And so he like, pulls <laughs> the plane like back up and it it's like going, it's like you got to turn around. He's like, I can't do that. And then he's like, wait a minute. I recognize this and it's like all like the landmarks and like the, like the the little airport he's been learning at. He's like, I can do this. I can land there. And they, they do call it out a little bit as when they're landing, they do like the wings do take out several dozen other like little planes. Yeah. And things and like, they have to they get to the end of like the runway and run off and crash into like the big sand thing. I didn't and mind so that. I, like, I didn't um, mind it. Yeah. I was like, I still, I, I still am questioning like if, this little airport could even handle it this well. Like it feels <laughs> like this may have gone way worse, but, um, 
but it's just just very funny like oh they have to like abort the landing and like go through the whole like and it's just the same as like the bomb thing where it's like the tension filled scene and it's like you know what we're gonna do it again (laughs) (laughs) yeah that 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 part is again i think you and i both said it you really could have chopped 20 minutes out of this movie and i think having that ending or or needing to do tension one more time when you when you end it like i don't know like just have him land at that that small airport like there was enough the first like, time like, enough things going on yeah, yeah it would have been uh, but part of me also is why i like love this movie is those things because it's so like 90s hollywood just like pushing to escalate, pushing for bigger action more. Uh, and it's so that era of Hollywood movie making of we're just going to like keep throwing action sequences and at, at things. And like, that's what audiences want. So that's what we're going to keep giving them. Yeah. It, it's, it, it just feels strange here. Cause again, you, you've got a very good editor and you kind of would think, I don't know. It, yeah. It's 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 just a strange it's a strange touch, but miraculously, and I, I do like some of my favorite parts of this are uh, them trying to steer the controls, and it's got like weird sweaty faced Kurt Russell jiggly <laughs> face, like he's like shaking, just <laughs> shaking the controls, and Kurt Russell's all tensed up, his face is just shaking, and I'm like, oh, it's like you actually can see he looks like a normal human being. <laughs> it's, it's like weird to not see him looking <laughs> perfect. So I, I I appreciated that part of it. Um, so of course he lands the plane at the smaller airfield and the day is saved. And then, uh, he seems to kind of get his, um, what do you call it? His, uh, grants redemption because there's the tension that, that he sent the, the special forces team on that mission that the, the, the DZ five was not there. And they obviously, they lost one of their guys. He kind of gets what, like a thumbs up at the end from all the guys. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's, um, what's weird in this like die hard he's like there's like personal stakes with his wife but and then he's trying to like reconcile with his wife and and like this is just like grant wants to be proved right about his analysis of the terrorist situation yeah it's not not a, not a great, not the like, great like personal chaos. stakes for the character like the stakes are huge for like real like outside everybody, if, everybody else as, like the personal <laughs> character touch it's that's like i mean i guess that's why it's not die hard <laughs> like it's yeah fair i um so and then and then what does he do of course uh he meets and gets Halle Berry's name and uh ask yeah. it ends with her asking to go to a hockey game or him asking oh, her to yeah. go to a hockey game i'm just like it's just creepy mid-90s just, hollywood loving their hockey games <laughs> uh loving their hockey game and definitely after a six to ten hour um terrorist <laughs> uh fight what are you going to do? You're definitely not going to go and get debriefed or go to your office or go take a shower or <laughs> you're going to go see a hockey. Game. Hey, you just, you just saved the day. You landed the plane. You got to, you got to take that time to shoot your shot with Holly Berry. Uh, and he's never, he he never going to be more likely to get a date. <laughs> no, he, and he, he's swinging for the fences on that one. I'll give yeah. him that. So I, uh, yeah, so that executive decision, um, I I loved it. I had I gave it um, four out of five. What did I give them? Four to five uh, seven forty seven transatlantic flights because I couldn't think of anything <laughs> funny. Um, what do so you think? I, 
I do love it too. Um, one of my gripes is, and maybe less of a gripe with the movie, um, as much as a deviation from the Die Hard formula. Um, so it's not, I don't, it's not necessarily a criticism of the movie, but the the villain is just generic Middle Eastern terrorist. And yeah. so even in like sudden yeah. sudden death, like Powers Booth, they're going for the Hans Gruber charming like villain in a suit kind of kind of thing. Um and this guy is just like is more like a canon movie Delta Force, like right out of Delta Force. <laughs> you think he's villain. a Robert Forster type <laughs> <of> <laughs> Uh, and that's just something I, I missed in this that you never find this villain like in any way charming or likable or like it's just no he, he's just always bad he's always he's yeah. always evil he's always um, just a terrorist and like, that's yeah. what it is so um so I did miss that and all the um the kind of hat on a hat <laughs> plot stuff um so it just stretched a little long for me I feel I'm always curious with that. Like if you could go in, like edit some of that stuff out, would I then be like, Oh, this movie's like missing tension. It needs more. <laughs> and like, <laughs> we needed to add 20 minutes. So, um, I, I think, I, I, I think you're right. A better villain setup would have, would have paid off here. Would it go a long way in this movie? I think to make you give you something there, but so I, but I gave it a three and a half out of five bomb diffusing straws. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one it's better than better than mine well and that, now, you know what now that you say that you're right because even when um jaffa is trying they're trying to get jaffa to talk um hassan off the ledge basically you know don't don't uh do anything or, or like land the plane you've won uh, I, i'm i'm gonna be free uh they're releasing me you know even even jaffa's like hey don't fucking do this like like hey like you're going too far buddy like chill out yeah so it is well, interesting. Actually, so one thing I did like is some of the terrorists with him think all they're doing is trying to free their comrade. Yeah. And once they do, they're gonna like divert to another airfield and get and that's that's their goal. And so and most of them don't know this is a this suicide. Is a suicide yeah. but we're gonna bomb this like nerve gas. And so I thought that was a nice twist on a terrorist formula of like um yeah, he's also double crossing his own guys. That's true. It, 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 it's a good it's a good touch. I do wish um, there's not enough mustache twirling in this. Maybe is is the way. Yeah, I would yeah. It. And um, Powers Powers it, Booth it, is the other end of the spectrum for mustache twirling. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Hans Gruber is perfectly in the middle of that of that window. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any other uh, trivia we should touch on uh, other than <laughs> the, the, well, I guess we should save some of the Seagal stuff, but I don't know this, this movie, I, I enjoyed it. I think it feels like the perfect 1990s dad movie uh, because you're excited <laughs> to see all these action stars. You're excited oh, to, I would agree with you if I hadn't just seen air force one. <laughs> yeah. I think that one's going to eclipse this one in terms of dad movies, dad movie. Yeah. Um, and that's what so spoiler alert i guess uh that's what we're gonna do next we're gonna we're gonna stick with our airplane theme and we're gonna mm -hmm. do um uh air force one which is uh, also die hard on a plane yes good news <laughs> we're gonna have another die hard on a plane movie when we do when we do um uh passenger 57 so i actually cannot find the list of all stuff we're gonna do i think it's in an email um but uh i i, I think uh it's interesting is i think you and i might feel 
slightly opposite on this versus Air Force One. I think you liked it a little bit more, and I liked it a little bit less. And then I and then I like this a little bit more, and I think you liked it a little bit less. So I think we're it's interesting we're we're not worlds apart, but it's it's interesting uh, that we're not quite quite the same. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's just funny these movies. Like I could really see that being reversed at any given time of um like if you catch it on a certain day you may yeah i'm just like oh i I could really go for like an overproduced hollywood like like this movie and even more so air force one the soundtracks are bananas the way like the heroic (laughs) swelling music uh for like scenes that like aren't even like (laughs) are just like are like nothing scenes but like it's yeah it's just so like big hollywood well and this one's what it's jerry goldsmith right is I think that, so. Yeah, that sounds right. Think, I'm trying to look up Jerry Goldsmith, like very quickly. Look it up. Like, hit, so while you're looking that, go ahead, go, go, go. So while you're looking that, I was just shout out one other thing from the trivia of uh, this went into turnaround at Paramount, <laughs> and they sold it to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers bought it from them in exchange for um, the Forrest Gump rights and script, and <laughs> I think that went a little better for uh, for one group there <laughs> getting yeah. Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little uh, bit more money. Well, oh man! I, all right, this makes sense. Okay, here we go. I didn't realize this. Um, so Jerry Goldsmith, he did the music for this. Next year, the next year, he does the music for Air Force One. So they, okay, yeah, that that, did, that makes very sense. Much tracks. <laughs> you're right because the the music swells are sometimes a little bit too loud and a little bit too unnecessary, almost like it's trying to to insert drama, uh, audible drama yeah, without when to... it's just not there. Well, you just feel like we want to make sure the audience knows what's going on, <laughs> what they should be feeling. So if we're going to hammer them with the music. Um, I But man, he's he's seen or he's done a ton of movies, though. I just didn't I didn't appreciate like and actually here you go. OK, here's another one that's going to fall in this wheelhouse. He also did the score for some of all fears Ugh. and U.S. Marshals and Star Trek. OK, so he's just like a Stuart Baird guy. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, so he's done, he's done all of all of Stuart Baird's directed movies, but man, like in terms of a career, man, he did Alien. Um, I haven't seen it, but he did Mulan. He did Chinatown, Gremlins, Total Recall, L.A. Confidential, Poltergeist, The Mummy, Basic Instinct, Rambo, Damn. yeah, Planet that's... of the Apes, The Omen, The Burbs, The uh, Gremlins Two, Rambo Two, um, a bunch of the Star Trek movies, Patton, Twilight Zone, the movie. Um, sleeping with the enemy. Dennis the Men. <laughs> uh, man, like he, he has had a hell of a career. Yeah, it's a hell of a. It's crazy. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so to your point, I, I think uh, I like Jerry Goldsmith. It does feel like we get a little too much Jerry Goldsmith in this movie, <laughs> though. Like maybe they just give him too well, much rain. I'm wondering though, it's just what like the studio is asking for, and he's like, "Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, let's, turn it on, buddy. Heroic go. sweeping, sure. Let's <laughs> let's turn it up a notch." <laughs> it's almost like he was paid by the note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's just got to get it all in. So, but uh, man, he had a crazy long career. I'm just I keep looking at like, I mean, he did stuff that was from like almost the late '50s up until wow. within like the last decade, I think. Is that impressive? Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but so, yeah. Right. Know, like, any more? Any more trivia that you've got on um, on uh, Colonel Travis or the? Uh, yeah. No. 
no, nah, I don't think I don't think I'd have to uh, delay everything by reading while we're doing a podcast. So you know, no, it's maybe fair. not the most, <laughs> but no, but no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if my I feel I shit on this movie more during this, but that's maybe like, but oh, my love okay. of it. Um, so I do love this movie, and it's just from a time. Uh, of my life where it was just going to be built to like be nostalgic about this movie. This came out probably like eight years later. Oh, it'd be bad. It would I be would, so bad. it would have been at a more jaded time in my life where I'd be like, Oh, what like Hollywood fluff nonsense is this? Um, uh, it's a- well, and I, I, I will say too, this, I like this. What, what I did like about this was the cast and it, that they use everybody pretty well. It's never like yeah. even Cahill, like they set him up to be, be sort of a worm and, and, he's scared and he obviously should be he just got put onto a plane with a bomb <laughs> and a bunch of terrorists so you know to his credit he has every right but they use all of the the lead characters in this pretty well and they all have something to do and i think yeah, that works well to your mm-hmm. point fast forward 10 years later uh or maybe maybe 10 or 15 years later this is just a oh somehow the rock is the only guy on this plane who can stop this and there's no team there's no characters and he's the one who's stopping terrorists by beating him up. And he's the one defusing the bomb. And he's the one landing the plane. And it's like, he's going to do it all. And, and like, it's weird. Like, it's almost like diehard on steroids where, um, and I think that's what we're going to see when we do Skyscraper is, and that's that's basically the premise is The Rock does everything. He saves his family. Well, well, and and the, fr- terrorists. <laughs> the hat on the hat there is also that, and he's missing a leg. And he's missing a leg. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, all that stuff is like, I'm like, okay, I'm on board. That's basically a good James Bond movie. Just the guy who can do everything. And like, okay, but yeah. then it's like you have to add one more thing of like, like what, just to make him give him one more thing to overcome. So yeah, I I, I think mm-hmm. this movie doesn't really get made today, um, sadly, uh, or at least not maybe on the yeah. same same level. Um, yeah, I think it's just not the same overblown Hollywood budget. And I yeah. think that's what I love about a lot of these is the overblown Hollywood budget of it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and they just don't, man, they just don't make movies like this anymore. But, uh, well, speaking of overblown, uh, Hollywood budget, I was going to go check. So we're doing air force one next, which, I that- and I, I am, I was fucking stunned that this movie came out before air force one. Like, I, I, I guess I wasn't, I, but, it would just would have made so much sense for this to be a response to Air Force One because Air Force One was a yeah. massive hit, <laughs> and if it was just oh let's get like some more great like a big action star, some like great character actors, and like shove them on a plane fighting terrorists, like that's um, and so yeah, it's crazy that Air Force One is like one year later. <laughs> uh yeah, and and man, uh, Air Force One, <laughs> we'll talk about it three hundred. <laughs> Three hundred million dollar box office, which seems yeah, insane. I, yeah, <laughs> what a huge hit. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I enjoyed it. I loved this movie. Um, uh, this is the first of our three <laughs> died <laughs> on an airplane. Hell yeah, it is. And we'll be doing uh the sequel to that next week. So I'm excited for it, and hope everybody joins us. Goodbye.